Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here and for just a spirit of joy. And uh, we acknowledge that you have given us the spirit of unity and that you, as we've leaned into that and obeyed and followed you, you're uniting us for a purpose. And we know and believe and trust that you are also moving within us as we open our hearts and obey and lean into this, that you want to give us a spirit of joy, to give us the strength to do the things you've united us to do. And so we give you thanks for that. We open our hearts and we ask that you speak to each and every one of us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, how many of you would like to get beyond a happy meal approach to life? Okay, think about it for a second. You know, if you've ever gone to McDonald's and ordered a Happy Meal for your child or for your grandchildren, you ever done that? Anybody raise your hand if you have. Okay, raise your hand if you've actually had a Happy Meal. So, yeah, now, so here's the question I want to ask. Is you have or your kids have and, and, and so many people, I think, approach life through what I call a Happy Meal approach. Um, how many of you have ordered that Happy Meal and you found your child truly satisfied. You know, I mean, you, you got that Happy Meal. They, they got it and they got the prize and they found long lasting happiness. Right. And then as you, as you, you know, see that, you know, maybe maybe a few days later or a week later, you turn to your kids they are complaining and you say, hey, hey, what happened to the Happy Meal? Right. Why aren't you still happy? And that doesn't happen, does it? Because anybody who has ever ordered a Happy Meal with the prize realizes it doesn't bring days of happiness. You don't have kids who have what I call happiness forever. They have usually happiness maybe for a half hour at most, if maybe that long. Because the initial happiness of a Happy Meal wears off. Because as McDonald's knows well, you and your kids will need another happiness fix. They like it that way. Soon you'll be needing something else to make you happy. A child's happy because they get what they wanted, the prize they hoped for, but soon the happy happening is gone. Happiness always fades. It always fades when it's on, based on something outside of us, when it's something that makes us happy, that's external in that sense, bringing us happiness. And most of us, I think even as adults, tend to be Happy Meal kind of people. Think about it for a second. We're full of joy when things are going our way. We seem to be happy when the happenings are happening the way we want them to happen. But what happens when things start to go the way we don't like it and circumstances aren't going as we had planned for them to go and as that begins to happen, as it begins to head south, so also Often goes your joy. The question I want you to think about, to truly honestly think about is, is do you want to get beyond, if you find yourself in this situation, do you want to move past the happy meal approach to life? The kind of life that I believe Jesus exemplified, experienced himself, and called his followers into. It's the kind of life that wasn't based on the happenings that were going on around you, the circumstances you could control, or you at least think you can try to control, and somehow you would be happy when those are in the right order, in the right place. 
but the kind of life that no matter what is going on, no matter what is taking place around you, you find from within joy. Biblical, what is called Christian, Jesus-like joy, present in happy and sad times, remaining in the good and bad times, it's consistent when the happenings of your life aren't. Joy, according to God's word, according to what Jesus has to say, is a stance that you take in life. Joy is a posture that you hold through life. Joy is more than a emotion. It is an actual attitude. It is a choice that you can make daily. And we talked last week about the fact that one of the things that releases joy, one of the choices you can make is to give thanks. Right. Anybody done that for the last week? Kind of kind of. Yeah, I had a number of people for service. And there's something about when you make that habit and let's say you do it for 30 some days, it has the ability to change your attitude. And what's happening there is in that little discipline, just like if you're running or you're exercising some muscle, what it does is it stretches the muscle of that attitude and begins to form it within you. But there's more that you need than just giving thanks. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to learn Three words today that I would like for you to repeat, to remember, to do throughout the day, no matter what you're facing and the things that you're coming against. These three additional words that maintain joy in tough times that you say in the face of difficulty when things seem to be heading south. And so also your attitude is God's at work. Can you say that with me? God. Now, I realize you probably are holding back because some of you are thinking that's contraction. That's really four words. Um, but go with me on this. OK, say it a little more enthusiastically. Act like it's three words and say when things are going south and not going the way you want them. Oh, I love that. Well, you guys you're, don't tell the first service you're much better than they were. Joy's released when you give thanks, but it's sustained. It's sustained in life because you write that list and it may change your attitude. That attitude is deformed. It's actually maintained when you see those things and you look at it and you go, God's at work. God's at work. When I worked with Trinity International University at their Florida campus, I helped initiate a scholarship fund. And I chose what I would do is contact a number of alumni, see those that might be interested. They didn't have to be people who could give lots of money, but I want to get a team of people who might come around this and, and help raise some funds for scholarships. And in the process, I got a team together, but there was one person in particular that I had a conversation with. It was a lady and her name was Joyce. Very fitting name because over the phone when I would talk to her, she exuded joy. She's one of those kind of persons that you, when you, she was contagious with her sense of uh, her positive attitude. And you have to know that when you're seeking to raise money, there are times where you can really experience great discouragement. There are times when after you hang up the phone, you're talking with someone, you feel a sense of just a cynical spirit. There's times where you can quickly slide to complaining. But what I found when I would meet with Joyce and we would often be talking with the phone, I hadn't actually met her. And she would just have this positive outlook, this sense of joy, no matter what the circumstances were. She actually created a culture of joy. I think she knew 
those little words, God's at work. So after numerous phone calls, I finally had a chance to meet her. And I was taken, really, I was taken back when I met her. In fact, more than surprised is she hobbled into my office on crutches. For years, her body was under the attack of a severely degenerative form of rheumatoid arthritis. Daily, her body was succumbing to the crippling and painful effects of this disease. And I learned her prognosis when we talked was full of years of complex surgeries. In fact, she had already had a number and she was going to have a whole lot more. And when I asked her what it looked like in the future, her diagnosis was simply that eventually she would experience more pain and paralysis. Yet she approached me with a smile and gave me a huge hug. With nothing with bad news before her, she was full of joy. And I mean radiant joy, not circumstantial, happy meal kind of joy. And, and what I found was really interesting is I got to know her story and as I got to know her better. And I worked with her over a, a period of months that she she wasn't pretending. And she wasn't in denial. And it wasn't a joy that I happened on on a good day for her. It was a joy that had been formed in her heart through years of a choice that she made, an attitude she developed. And the key was this, that she had a confidence in God. She had a confidence that God was at work in her life. She had a confidence that God deeply loved her and cared for her. In the midst of what was going on, in the midst of what seemed to be, you could easily say, how could God like that? How could God love anything around that? But he loved her and she knew it. And she told me that joy was a result of a choice that she had made years ago when she found out about this that she repeated every day. And it really was these words, God's at work. God's at work. And her joy was in a relationship with a person which is so important because it was a person. It was this internal work of the Spirit of God in relationship to a person and not in her relationship to her circumstances. And it's that kind of joy that stands the test of trials. It's that kind of joy that is maintained in the presence of pain and sustained when nothing seems to be going your way. It is a joy based on the confidence that God loves you. And these three words, what? God's at work. So if you want to increase your confidence in God, you will then increase your joy. Remember we said last week, increase your joy by increasing your thanks. Well, I'm going to tell you this week, increase your joy by increasing your confidence of God's love in your life. And in the same way we said things last week, this week we're going to say these three words whenever you come across these things, and that is God's at work. It's not based on favorable circumstances, but based on a favorable relationship that you have with your Father God who allows and works through all circumstances for your ultimate benefit. Paul knew this to be true. If you look at Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul states in these verses, he's kind of sharing his life. He says, I was in prison frequently, flogged severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times he goes on shipwrecked and on and on. And if you get down to about verse 27, he says, I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And I put a little asterisk that behind that, that in, the, in some Greek manuscripts, you know what it says after he lists all these horrible things? Some Greek manuscripts, it could be worse. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. 
No, it, it, it goes on and says, besides everything else, I face this daily pressure because of the concern I have for you. Yet Paul in Philippians 4, in the midst of being in prison, in the midst of being confined, in the midst of what I would call not good circumstances, writes and says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And a little later in that letter, he says, I know what it's like, and he repeats what we read just a few minutes ago, to be in need, I know what it's to have to plenty. I know what it's learned the secret of being content, thankful, or joyfully confident. You can put those words in there. This is something you can learn. In any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here, what sustained his joy gave him confidence. Paul penned the secret in these words found in Romans chapter 8, 26 through 28. If you read verses 26 through 28, and I have them here in the message, and he goes, meanwhile, the moment we get tired in waiting, which is something that, I mean, one of the ways you lose your joy for me is waiting. You know, Advent season is all about waiting. We celebrate waiting. That's what we were celebrating. These people who waited from the time of Adam through all the prophets, through the 400 years of silence, they were waiting for God to show up here on earth. And so he's saying, meanwhile, in the moment we get tired in waiting, because we all do, everybody finds this, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. He actually knows how to pray when we don't know how to pray. He goes on. And then he ends it. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. That's how the message says it. If some of you remember, you learned it this way. And we can know, we can be confident of this, that in all things, God's at work. That's, that's kind of where those words come from. In all things, God's at work. God's at work for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. And some of you, I'm going to ask you to begin to do this in your life. And that is when you come across those times when things start to head south, your attitude starts to go down. Instead of letting your attitude make a choice and say out loud, God's at work. There's some things that will actually anchor those words with the reality that will help you through this process. When you say God's at work, there's some things that you need to know. Um, you can actually choose joy. You can be joyful because in the midst of this experience that you're in, as you say God's at work, you will begin to experience His power. You have the opportunity to experience His power. You will also have the opportunity to know what it means for Him to fulfill His purpose for you. And you can also take joy because you can rest in His plan for you. When you go through this and you say God's at work, you're actually saying God's power is available. When you're saying this, you're also saying God's fulfilling His purpose in me. And when you're saying this, you're resting in the fact that He has this great plan for you. And it's ultimately good for you. So be joyful. Your situation is an opportunity to experience His power. When you come into those situations and you say God's at work because you know that you right now Whatever your circumstances might be, if you know they're negative, if you feel like, man, I can't handle any more of this, I'm at the end of my resources, you have an opportunity to experience the resources of God. I think of Mary. Mary, around the time as she was, it was announced to her the birth of Christ, her initial reaction is really rather understandable. The angel comes to her and says to her, um, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says in verse twenty. Nine here, that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. 
Now, I like what Elie Wiesel says, who was a survivor of the Holocaust. He writes, whenever an angel says, be not afraid, you better start worrying. A big assignment is on your way. Well, I think that's kind of interesting because when you read through this, the angel goes on to say, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive, give birth to his son. And as you go along, you see here down in verse 20, 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answers, here's how it will be. Your place where you don't have any ability to make this kind of thing happen is an opportunity for the power of God to show up. So I want you to rejoice, Mary. I don't want you to move to fear. I don't want you to be all concerned about this. I want you to know, I know you have all these human emotions, but I want you to know this one truth, that your situation right now is an opportunity for God's power because he says the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will... And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It will make this thing happen. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Instead of joy, just think about it. Mary could have been filled with fear. She could have actually um, gone to a place of great concern where she's thinking, what are people going to think? I've got I to tell Joseph. How is this going ha- to work itself out? But Joyce sustained her, I think, by these three little words which showed up in this passage. God's at work. There was an opportunity right now that the power of God's going to make itself known in your life. And her response was, I'm your servant. So I want to ask you to think for a second. You're in a situation right now, maybe, where you've come to the end of your resources. You don't have what you think it takes. Or you're in a place where you, things continue to go worse and worse and worse. And you're kind of going, God, I, and God's saying, here's a great truth for you. That in this situation is an opportunity for me to show up with my ability to do what needs to be done. It may not be that he's going to make a way where there seems to be no way in this situation. He may be working in such a way to give you the ability and the strength to move through it. Do you know that if you begin to choose joy and say, God's at work in this, and you move rather than to this other attitude, but move into this other attitude of joy. Joy is, it says, the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. He will actually, through your choice of joy and obedience, empower you to do and to be who He wants you to be. I like this, this whole passage in this sense that when you come to the end of your resources, Jesus says, rejoice, be happy. Your circumstances right now, your circumstances are ripe for a miracle. Your situation, in a sense, is pregnant for the demonstration of God's power. At the end of your resources, guess what? You are at the beginning of God's resources. That's a good place to be. It's such a good place to be that it, it, one of the most important messages Jesus ever gave was called the Beatitudes, which I call the Attitudes of Joy, because he always would say, blessing, blessing, blessing. You guys are blessed. You should, be, you should rejoice. God's blessings on you. Blessed are you who are poor. Well, what do you mean poor? For yours is king. Blessed are the mourn. Blessed are those who are hungry. He, he gives all these things that you go, what? I mean, blessing, because he says in each one of those, blessed are you who are poor, who are broken, who've come to the end of yourself. You are now in a place that you are looking only in one place. If you're willing to do it, if you're willing to turn to God and open your heart, he will pour out his power. So rejoice. Be joyful, because God's at work. Be joyful. Your situation is an opportunity to fulfill his purpose for you. He will fulfill his purpose for you. For four, over 400 years, the people of God had waited for the birth of the Messiah. They had waited and waited and waited. And those who were in that waiting were experiencing and chose joy because they had to, in the silence of that time, say these simple words. 
God at work. You might be in that place right now where God just seems to be really silent. You speak to God and the heavens are like brass and nothing seems to get through. You kind of just wonder, where are you, God, in this situation? I guess I want to encourage you to do what they did, and that is to look at the situation. Because if you, if you just go through the prophets and you look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and, and just keep going, Amos, Obadiah, all the rest of them, every one of them are writing about situations that are not really too good. And every one of them, if you wanted to sum up their words, was God's at work. Rejoice. Be confident that God loves you. God cares about you. That in this situation that you're in, there's an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. But there is more than that. There is an opportunity. There is actually the fulfillment of your purpose that God has for you. And we don't get that real well. We, we confuse that. I think so often, at least I am, am like a child. When it comes to um, this whole idea of, of God's purpose and fulfillment... I forget what he's seeking to do in me. And I, I, I just get things all messed up. I think in so often you go through trials and you're kind of we're these happy meal followers who who are just hoping that God's going to make things for us good so we can be happy again. You ever been in that place? You know, the last words in Malachi, when you come to the last prophet before the 400 years of silence, here are the words. He gives to him. It's a hope. He's saying God's at work. He's going to be doing something. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come to his temple. And the messenger of his covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. I was reading this one time at a time in my life when I was very discouraged and very down. I was just praying to the Lord. And it was part of my quiet times. I came to that and I was filled with joy. I thought, God, I just sensed him speaking in my heart. And he was. And I was really excited. I was going, God, good, you're going to turn the circumstances around. And then I did what you probably shouldn't do if you just want to stay in that place. I read the next verse. That was a bummer. Because he goes on, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? I'm going, hey, wait a second, what's this? Uh, who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. He will sit as refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings and righteousness. And offerings in Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former days. So I will come to you. I will come to put you on trial. And I, it was like the Holy Spirit said, here's my purpose for you, Kevin. I want maturity. I'm coming, but I, you're going to experience some difficulties and you're going to understand that my purpose, I'll give you the power to go through them, but your, my purpose is far bigger than just your happiness. I, I, so often, if you're like me, you know, you usually just say, OK, God, I would like a close family, a circle of friends so I can be happy, make enough money so I can live life and be happy. And if you could just stay healthy enough and enjoy those relationships and the money that I'm making, I could be happy. And God's going, no, that's not really what it's not. It's not your circumstances revolving around you that are going to make you happy. His purpose is different. It's much higher. Do you know what his purpose is for your life? His purpose is that your character will grow. Now, think about it. You who have been parents or grandparents, parents, let's just look at it this way. When it comes to your children, what's your purpose for them? What's your goal? Happiness or maturity? 
If you place happiness as your highest goal for your kids, just imagine what this would be like. Here's, here's what would happen. If your happiness and their happiness was the purpose you had for their life, that would mean that every time you are standing at the counter checking out and your child began to cry for candy, you know, because they place those in those really, really obvious places, you would just look at them and go, oh, you like, oh, yeah, have some, grab a couple more. That's great. You'd get them candy. But instead you say, Mommy or daddy's at work producing your character, right? No. And they hate the trial. If it was happiness that you were after, every time they refused to go to bed, you would do what? You'd say, oh, sure, stay up. Oh, yeah. Help yourself to the ice cream in the refrigerator. Not a problem. Build a fire. Yeah. Um, but as a good parent, you'd say, mommy or daddy are at work producing a healthy child, developing character. If it was happiness that you're after, every time it was time for your child to take a bath or to take a shower, you'd do what? You'd say, no problem. Cover the stench with clean clothes. That's not a big deal. But you say instead, no, we're here to develop your character. If happiness was your number one goal and you had this 16-year-old teenager come to you and they, you know, they wanted the car and you, and you said no, and then you went, oh, I'm sorry, what am I thinking? Of course, I want you to be happy, as he, she has this big sad face. Of course, take the nice car. In fact, take the nicest car. Call a bunch of your friends. Try and fill it as full as you can. Not a problem. Stay out as late as you want. You know, 3 a.m., that's fine. But that's not what you're doing. You, you just say mom and dad are at work. See, good parents don't do that. Your purpose is maturity. Do you know that the purpose of God, the goal of God is to create character? Did you ever notice in the word of God, when you find it and you read in the scripture, in the New Testament, especially Jesus, he is often talking about the father and those who get the father's estate. They do it through inheritance. You inherit it. And people who inherit what the father has to them are the people who have character, the people who have been proven faithful. And what we don't realize that this life and the trials and tests and all the things that are going on, this life that we experience is all an opportunity for God to raise up not kids, but adults who have character. And so if you're like me and you come to this trials and tests, you get times when you go, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. And God looks down and he goes, I'm fulfilling my purpose in you because my deep purpose is for you is to enjoy maturity. The reason that you come to a place when your kids are old enough at 16 or so and you give them the keys of the car is you're hoping at that point they've demonstrated enough maturity that they will be able to take it out and use it wisely, right? Do you know that's what God's seeking to do in our hearts and our lives as well? When you have this child and you, you give them the keys of the car, they've proven themselves faithful and they demonstrate maturity. They now have the opportunity to take the keys of that car and they have freedom and joys and benefits they never had before. Do you know what God is seeking to do in your life right now when he brings things like this in your life? is an opportunity to build his character in you because what God wants to do is give you the keys into a new realm of his kingdom so that in this place in his kingdom, he can begin to demonstrate his power and do the things and you can begin to enjoy those benefits and touch the lives of people that God wants you to touch. Take joy. He's doing exactly what a good parent would do. God's at work. And then the last is this. Be joyful. Because your situation is an opportunity to rest in, in God's plan. 
Not only did he wait 400 years, the people wait, but the birth of Jesus was so long for that if you read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says the Old Testament saints were waiting joyfully and expectantly. And if you read through these verses, they were searching intently with greatest care. They wanted to know the time and circumstances. And look what it says at the very end. Even angels long to look into these things. They are so excited by the unfolding of God's plan. They knew all through it, through all the hills and valleys throughout history, that God was working out His plan, that He brought His Son, that when He'd bring His Son, eventually He would tie all things up and all things would end in its ultimate good that He was seeking to do for all people. And so you have this picture of God who is calling us not only to recognize that His power is available, that He's producing His character so our maturity can release the things that God wants to do in us and He wants us to be faithful and be able to move into those things. He also says in this whole process, when things are going really south, you don't think things are good, you're experiencing trials, just stand back and rest in my plan. I am working things out. I've done it in the past. I'll do it in the future. I'm doing it in your life. So when you look at those things, you say, God's at work and you rest. Joy is a quiet confidence that God loves you. That he cares about you and he's working in your situation right now. Joy is the confidence that you can say when 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 you when you're just looking at your kids, you're going, oh, man, God, I'm just so concerned. You're worried and and and, and, or you're looking at your job and you just don't know what's going to happen next. And and you're in these situations that you can look at it. And here's what I want you to say. God's at work. God's at work and take joy. Rest in his plan. One of my favorite stories that I've shared before, but a good story is always good to tell. So um, it was when my uh, when I was a kid, my dad used to take my brother and I, my older brother, and we would go to the state fair and we would go to the stock car races because I think it was his way of not spending a lot of money. He could get us, he would say, you know, guys, pick a car, and we'd sit there until we, you know, whoever gets the winner, knowing that would keep us from running everywhere else spending his money. I think that's, I think, the thing that happened there. But we'd sit there and we'd do that. Well, I remember one day when we were a lot older, we were sitting in our home, we were watching TV, I think it was a Sunday afternoon. My brother and I were home. The only thing on TV was a car race. And so it was, I think, something like the Indy 500. And, and my father happened to be in the room and he said, go ahead, guys, pick a car. Let's see who can pick the winner. And so my dad was quite gracious and he said to us, go ahead, you know, you guys pick first. I'll pick last. And so my older brother and I, we picked some well-known racers. I think my brother picked an Al Unser. You remember that guy? And I picked one of my favorites, Mario Andretti. They were all up in the front, the first elite cars. They were the favorites to win the race. And my dad goes ahead and picks some guy in the back of the pack. And we're kind of going, yeah, good choice. Anyway, he walks out of the room. We're watching the race. And as we're watching the race, this no-name guy who's in the back of the pack starts slowly moving forward. And our cars seem to be moving backwards. And my dad would come in, check on it every once in a while. We'd tell him where things were at. As the race continued... At one point, my brother's car continued to move further back. My car went into a pit stop, never came out. I'm out of the race. My dad comes in, he asks, how's the race going? My brother's kind of a little sad. His car's moving back. My dad's car's almost where his car is, and I'm out. He feels bad. He says, okay, guys, go pick again. My brother goes, I'll be another car. I said, yeah, he says, that's fine. You pick another car. So we both pick cars right in the very front. I like the number, you know, one through five cars. We each pick one. His car around this time now is about the 10th 
in line in the race. It just continues to move up. He walks back out. We're watching the race. All of a sudden, we start yelling and screaming because his car is slowly going one car ahead of another car, and our cars are going back further and further. And the announcers are enthused. He comes in. He's kind of smiling and all happy. And we watch him as he's kind of all, you know, feeling all good about his guy getting up near the front. And then we watch with just about a lap to go. His car pulls in and he takes the lead and he wins and he's all excited. He walks back into the kitchen and he's laughing and we come in, see him laughing. And we see my mom sitting at the table and she's laughing with this laugh that we know that we'd been had. And my dad's just laughing. He goes, I can't believe it. He goes, that race was recorded yesterday. I mean, he was as calm as a cucumber. No wonder he knew the outcome. He was resting through the whole thing. He knew that all these things would turn out to his good no matter what. And that's the way it is. When you look at life and you begin to realize that God's power, he's available for you. He's producing character. He wants maturity. I mean, this is not about this life, but it's this life in his kingdom and forever. And then you can just rest and go, God, I don't get this right now. But you can say three words. And what are those three words? God's at work. I just wanted this series of messages to be very practical. And I just want you to begin to realize, as we said last week, Thanksgiving releases joy. Your confidence that you actually apply, not you say in your head, but you apply in your heart and you actually speak out with your mouth. What you say with your mouth is important. When you come against these situations and you say God's at work, it allows for you to choose joy. Because your confidence is in not what's happening around you, but in this God who loves you. I'm going to ask the choir if they would come forward. And as they do so, I would ask you to just prayerfully think about your situation for a moment. And I want you to ask your question, because I do think it's really easy for us as people who who say that we believe the word of God and believe that we have this God who loves us to live our life like Happy Meal Christians. Anybody, you know what that's like. You can walk out of here and go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm excited. But I want for us as a people to begin to experience the joy of God. I want to experience that. So I'm going to ask you, and again, some of you are doing it, continue to give thanks, journal, and write that out. Let that change your mood. But one of the things I want you to do is to recognize the thing that maintains it is the confidence you have in this God. And when you look at whatever situation you're in, you can say, God's at work.